Well, hello, dummies. We want to welcome you back for another unscripted conversation about God, faith, and the messiness of life. Uh, we admit that we're a bit reverent, slightly irreverent, and totally irrelevant. So that's what you're in for. Uh, as you know, we usually take a deep dive into a shallow pool, but today we have a special guest who's going to help us take a deep dive into the very deep end of the pool. And I think we're all going to be blessed today with our conversation with the Reverend Dr. Roosevelt Gray. Uh, currently, Dr. Gray serves as the Director for Black Ministries for the LCMS. But prior to joining the LCMS International Center in St. Louis, he served as an assistant to the President for Missions and Evangelism in the LCMS Michigan District. Uh, he served as a pastor of Faith Lutheran Church and Lutheran City Ministries in Detroit. He was the Director of Admissions, Recruitment, and Vicarage at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, and he was a pastor of Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in Houston, Texas, which is where I first came to know uh, Reverend Dr. Gray. He uh, has an undergraduate degree from in printing production and management from Alabama A&M University. And then he's got a theological a master's of divinity uh, from Concordia Seminary. And he has an honorary doctorate from Concordia St. Louis as well. So he's got a lot of titles and a lot of information. And he's going to help us today as we continue our discussion about what's going on in the world. And not just here locally, but it's global. This uh, Black Lives Matter, these racial tensions that are going on in our world today. And, and he's going to help us decide, well at least address the question, where do we go from here? Because we've got a couple options. Do we go to uh, chaos or do we head towards community? And I think what he's going to tell us, I'm just guessing, <laughs> is that he wants us to move towards community. And, and there's he help us. he's going to help us have that conversation about how maybe we can do that. Uh, so, Dr. Gray, thank you for being here. And I'm going to call you Reverend Gray because I think of all the titles Wonderful. that you have that being that pastor and having that heart for people is probably the most important one. So thank you for joining uh, our dummies this morning and, and maybe making us a little bit smarter on this conversation that's been going around for the last few weeks now. So I'm going to back up and just let you kind of start with maybe where are we right now in the country, in the world? Wonderful, brothers. It's good to be with you today on your podcast, and and I thank God for this opportunity of speaking with you and your listeners concerning uh, uh, where do we go from here, uh, chaos of all community. Uh, it was the last book of Dr. Martin Luther King where he uh, isolated himself from the demands of the civil rights movement. He rented a house in Jamaica with no telephone, and he labored over his final manuscript. And it was quite prophetic, and he talked about the civil rights movement at that time. And in, in his book, he, he dealt with the issues that were going on at that particular time in America and really around the world. And he also laid out some thoughts and plans and dreams for America, uh, including the need for better jobs, higher wages, decent houses, quality education. And he also said that we needed to come together as people of faith. You know, one of his quotes was that Sunday morning is the most segregated time in America. And he simply said across the board, among uh, blacks and whites and Asians and Indians, that oftentimes when we come together on Sunday morning, we come together as 
separate individuals worshiping in our own houses of worship and uh, and just being about our own business of how we have faith and believe and celebrate the gifts of life that God has given us. We know that is not what God wanted for his church throughout uh, the New Testament and really for the Old Testament for the worship in the synagogues and the temple. That God did not want his people to be separate from other ethnic people and nationalities. That he wanted all people to come into the house of the Lord and be the people of God. And Isaiah, in the different parts of the Old Testament, he proclaimed that to his people Israel, that he wanted all people to come to the mountain of the Lord so they can hear the word of God and they can come to faith uh, in God and in the New Testament in his son, Jesus Christ. But it's been a difficult task, hasn't it? It has. I mean, uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it's interesting because I always tell people in Bible class, the one thing we can be certain that we know about God is that he desires all people to be saved, not just middle-class white Anglo-Saxons. We don't think we use those terms anymore, but it's all people. And we, we just celebrated Pentecost, and Pentecost was representation of all 70 of the nations of that time, which we understand to be representative of the world. And so that Correct. was that first God's first little soiree, I guess, into let's reach the world, and you're going to do it. Well, you know, Jesus had said that uh, in that last chapter of Matthew, and on his ascension, he had said uh, to the disciples, uh, go and make disciples of all nations. Mm-hmm. And you and I, we learn what that Greek word means, the pantanta ethne, of all of the ethnic groups. Go and disciple them. And his simple message of disciple was simply this. Teach them everything I've taught you, baptize them, you know, catechize them, and the fact that he would be with us always until the very end of the age. It was really not a convoluted way of trying to do things. It was a very simple message of how do we go about serving all of these different ethnic groups. Exactly. And it was just these these Galileans that, you know, these these people that, these 12 men and and I think it was 120 of them when he ascended. And, and you know, these were ethnic, ethnic Israelites who probably had not come into contact with a lot of different other ethnic groups except on the day of Pentecost. And when they heard them preaching in their languages, they said, well, how in the world did these people learn these languages? Right. And they thought they were, had been drinking. Exactly. Now, <laughs> I've seen people inebriated, and the thing that I've learned about inebriation, you don't speak another language. If it is, it's just gibberish. That's right. So let me ask you a quick question then. So you make it very clear that Jesus makes the command very simple. Amen. The model, very simple. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded. Or as you said, and as Lutherans we say, catechize them. So, Amen. so from that day to fast-forwarding till now, where you're saying, um, Dr. King said, Sunday morning is the most segregated place, where did we go wrong? And I know that's a huge question, and that's probably much more than we have time for, but give us some insight to where you think uh, or you understand that we went wrong from that Great Commission. Well, you know, early on in the early church, they had issues with trying to bring uh, different ethnicities into the church. You yes. know, the fight between Paul and 
and uh, and the councils. They wanted them to hold on to Jewish uh, religious traditions, and Paul said, "No, it is only belief in Christ that brings a person to faith in God." And uh, and so it was early on where where people tried to make sure that other ethnic groups, uh, the demand of their faith is that they have to do what they do and not just having a faith in Jesus Christ. And then I also think that because you engage other ethnic groups, the, the cultural differences, oftentimes you want people to give up on their culture and become part of your culture. And especially when you think that Christianity now has been embedded in a particular cultural way of thinking. And not just that it's God has called us to faith in Christ, and it bridges cultures together. And, and I think as we went down through the years from the New Testament church even to today, that Sunday morning is a cultural experience. The songs we sing, the way we worship, the kinds of things that, that we do. I can tell you a story. When I first got here to Detroit, and... uh I was serving in Lutheran City Ministries, and we were trying to replant some churches in the city. And we had one large church uh, that at one time had 4,800 members, and it had declined down to about 16 members. They had a school of about 60 kids, and Lutheran City Ministry went in to do work with this congregation, trying to help them to get back into the community. It had been a German community in the early uh 20th century, and it was becoming now an African-American community uh, of the 20th century. And so we were trying to reach this community. And so uh, we did the hard work of going out and knocking on doors, the evangelistic work that you do, really building a relationship with the community. And so we decided that we're going to have a worship service to invite the community, have the kids to sing, bring in the choirs from the city. And we did that. And I, I would imagine we had probably three or 400 people at this worship service. Mm. And, uh, and one of the parishioners, the, the, the German uh, 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 ancestor, came into my office that next day crying. And she said, well, Pastor, I don't think we're, we're going to be able to stay. And I said, what do you mean you're not going to be able to stay? She said, I thought this was going to be like what we used to do when <laughs> the pastor who founded the congregation had been there. And I opened the window to the office, and I said, look outside. Who do you see out there? I said, look at the people who are walking up and down the street. They, 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 their ancestors didn't come on the boat from Germany. Most of their ancestors came on the slave ship. And now they're in this community. We have to reach that population of people. And I said, what was different in the worship service that you couldn't handle? And she said, uh, she said well... We had the, the whole liturgy there. She said, but some of the songs, I said, well, what, what songs did you, that, that was, was, uh, didn't have the theological opinion of our church body? She said, well, they all were theologically sound, but it's just not the ones that we used to sing. Uh-huh. Yep. And she just cried, and finally her husband, who had, been the, who had been the treasurer, came in the next day and he said, Pastor, I would love to stay here and work with you to reach this community. I know we have to do that. He said, but I think we're going to have to leave because my wife just can't handle it. Wow. Wow. That is. And I thought, I thought, wow. Okay, then. Well, I appreciate uh, you starting out with us. And I pray that God will find you a place to serve. And we continue to try to do that. But 
We have to sell that building eventually, close that ministry down and sell that building. My goodness. So it's, it's this cultural divide that we have. That somehow in Christianity, we, we, we kind of codify our faith in one particular culture. And then we can't accept other cultures saying we can't change. We can't do the kinds of things to reach people. And it becomes a battleground over whether or not you're just going to sing a hymn that has no theological, <laughs> you know, differences, but right. it's just not your history. Well, it's interesting because I'm thinking, you know, when the scriptures call us to leave behind that which slows us down, that's not the cultural things that make up who we are. That's the Correct. things of sin. But it sounds like what you're saying is maybe as churches have called the cultures to leave behind their culture and and not just the things that weigh them down. And I'm thinking of a story. Uh, back in the 90s, I went to a church. It was an African-American church in Milwaukee. It was Lutheran, uh, predominantly African-American. The pastor was African-American there. And I was visiting a friend of mine who was serving there at that time, and they had a potluck. And I'm just going to tell you, had they asked those people to leave behind their culture, that potluck would not have been the greatest potluck I've ever been to, because they right. had Mexican food, they had soul food, they had casserole dish. I mean, it was the great—I figure that's what heaven's going to be like. <laughs> and so it was a beautiful thing, though, to see these people not dropping their culture— but instead embracing their cultures together and, and accepting each other for that. And so I just, it sounds like we've got the same problem the early church had, and we've never figured out how to get past that. Well, you know, the Bible reminds us that we're sinners, and sinners do what sinners do indeed. They sin. <laughs> and so it is sin at the end of the day uh, that causes us to not accept other people and uh, oftentimes demand that they cater to our culture and not assimilate those cultures into who we are. And oftentimes it's really not anything that will undermine the theological uh, doctrines of the faith. It's just, we don't want to do that. That's not who we are. Mm -hmm. And this one particular congregation I was telling you about, uh, when they came out with the new hymnal, you remember the handshake of peace yes. in the new hymnal? Well, there were some people who didn't want to shake hands in the, in the church. There was a divide. One of the African-American members told me, he said, Pastor, he said, when we had the handshake of peace, he said, we go around, we shake hands, we talk to people and everything. He said, now, many of the white members didn't like that because they said, well, why are we shaking hands before we go up to communion? And why are we having this co these conversations during church? It's just add more time to the worship <laughs> service. And he said, so... They had a huge meeting about the handshake of peace. Oh, my. He said, but it was in the hymnal. It was part of the liturgy. And he said, you know, we had a divide over that particular incident, the handshake of peace. Oh, my goodness. You got to love and Lutherans, otherwise you'd hate them. <laughs> we get hung up on the silliest Well, things. I don't think it's just a Lutheran issue. I think it's probably... With all denominations, if you if you become a member of a denomination, you have to break into into the ethos of that denomination. So, what do they do as as the people of God, and and how have they built their cult, build their cultural, you know, uh, uh, 
differences there? And how do you go in and, and, and help them to change that? Or do you just blend in and say, well, I'll just do away with my cultural heritage and just blend into yours. And I think sometimes we demand that of people to blend in and not to accept who they are as people of God. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. We we tend to uh, keep the status quo, and, and we're not willing to try new things or to to reach out and, and kind of get out of our comfort zone. And I think we have—that's a real problem or a real uh, hindrance to us. You know, we're not adventurous, you know, in, in uh, doing these new things, and I think that can— really set us back. So what I'm going to ask you to do then is can you take us out of our comfort zone now? And <clears throat> so this is where we were. We can all watch the news and see where we are. So take Chuck, uh, t- Pastor Chuck and, and Guy, take us out of our comfort zone and, and tell us how we work to move forward to and, and I don't mean just a more culturally diverse LCMS church body. I just mean a, a more accepting world toward culture. And I don't even like to use the word race, but I guess it's there. But but where we can have conversation together without the need to yell at each other or past each other or whatever we're doing right now that's not really working. Well, I, I don't have I don't have the answers, you know. I, I, I just have some hypotheses that I think uh, that that hopefully we could we could utilize and and trying to build relationships as we as we communicate with with each other. And it always starts with the word. I think we have to allow the word to shape our hearts and our minds uh, concerning how we see other people. Exactly. Uh, I, I think it starts always with the Word of God. We must go back to that Word and let the Word shape our hearts about 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 how we see individuals. You know, when it, they ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And in one instance, uh, they ask him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus takes all of the commandments and, and the statutes of the law, and he breaks them down into two tables of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he said, the second is equally important, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I think somehow that has to be embedded in our hearts, that our relationship with God demands our relationship with one another to be a pure relationship of love, that I look beyond the weaknesses, the frailties, the sin, and and, and, and all of the trappings of humanity uh, inhumanity to man and see God's love for me and my love for my neighbor or, or whomever I'm, I'm uh, serving at that particular time. I learned how to do that at my first church in Houston. They taught me how to love mm-hmm. my neighbor as I love myself and as I love the word of God and love God. They just taught me how to do that. So I think it has to start with the word. That And I, we, we would agree with you. That's always a the best place to start. Uh, right. I'm, just, I'm just afraid that maybe in this day and age of remote control garage doors and everything else and fences and that that we don't really, you know, in the Good Samaritan, who's my neighbor? Amen. And, and so I think maybe that's part of this whole thing is I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but but I'm not even sure... I mean, I know who Jesus thinks my neighbor is, 
But I think sometimes we think our neighbors are the people that like baseball and chewing sunflower seeds and having a beer at a ball game. Uh, That's my neighbor because I like him and he likes what I like. But the person that's different, that has a tattoo on their neck or a sleeve on their arm or uh, listens to rap music versus country western music or whatever else, that's not my neighbor. Uh, Years ago, I had somebody in a Bible class, and this is what he said. We were discussing this concept of neighbor, and after class, he was a faithful, wonderful member for many years, and he said to me, um, Pastor Chuck, he said, you got this all wrong. He says, when God says we're supposed to love our neighbor, he's only talking about people who are Christian already. Mm. (laughs) And if that's somebody who's been raised up in the church their whole lives, how can I expect people who don't even... Right. You know, that's why people take 40 rolls of toilet paper during a COVID, because they're only concerned about themselves and not their neighbor. Correct. So how do we... So let me go back to that then. How do we help people understand that concept of neighbor and maybe even beginning to find out that the person in the cubicle next to you, they're your neighbor, right. you know? Amen. So how do we do that, do you think? Well, well, so so the first thing I think is the Word. you got to be embedded in the Word of God. It has to change your heart. The second thing is building trust relationships with people. Yes. And that is to acknowledge the fact that we're all sinners. People make mistakes. They say things that you don't like, or they do things that you don't like, or they may even have a, a specific cultural thing that you don't like. But to build trust relationships, you you simply you you simply have to you you have to talk to people. You have to trust that their first inclination is to do the right thing, and the wrong thing that they do is because they have they have learned how to do wrong things from learning from other people who do wrong things, or you know distrust or mistrust people. And you have to learn how to have a trust relationship with people. Okay, you have to learn to say to yourself. I'm going to reserve the right to be able to speak again to this person, no matter how disagreeable we may be. And so I'm going to reserve that right to have another conversation with you. I'm not just going to, you know, burn down the building because we disagreed on something. Right. That's so, so I'm just thinking now about what's going on in the country and we turn on the TV and you see, uh, People holding parts of you know Seattle hostage, or rioting in the streets, and people stealing and taking things. And what I've heard, right. the, the narrative we get from some people are those guys are thugs, those women are crooks and criminals and bad people. And what you're saying is, if we're going to be in this conversation, we have to assume first and foremost, even those people who are doing the wrong things in this moment. Are still our are, neighbor. Are still our neighbors, and in other situations, might very well do the right thing. But it's what they've learned, or the, the culture they're embedded into has said to them: maybe this is what you do, or they got bad advice, or whatever else. But we can't label them as bad people because that stops Correct. the conversation, right? Sorry to interrupt, dummies, but that's where we're going to have to stop for this week. So in order to hear uh, Reverend Gray's answer, you'll have to tune in for next week uh, as we'll do our part two of the final uh, discussion 
um, about how we can love our neighbors. So we'll see you next time, and God bless.